couple weeks ago when my wife and I were away and I was on vacation, we went out to eat one night and we pulled into this parking lot of a restaurant and I saw it. I don't know if I told you about this. I don't think I did. It was, it was my car, only a different color. It was the car that I had when I went to college. It was a 1974 Chevy Impala, two-door, um, 400 engine, eight cylinder, you know, and this thing was in mint condition. In fact, it was kind of a mint green color. And the spot next to it was open. So I pulled right up next to it and I got out and I just looked at it and I don't, you know, I don't like to draw attention to myself. Believe it or not, I don't, <laughs> ironically. And but, so I just kind of looked, you know, I looked and admired it and we went in. And I, when we came out, as we were coming out the door, I looked over and the couple was getting into the car. I'm like, this is great timing. And so I, I walked right over and I said, oh, this is perfect timing. I, I love this car. And, we, and this guy and I started talking. And, it, and he was so thrilled that, that I knew about the car and that I liked it. And as I stood around it and got in close, I didn't get in it, but I looked around it brought back memories, like I would see little pieces of it. And, you know, they're a lot different, these cars, than they are today. This was, let's see, it so was a 74, 26, that's 48. Is that really 48 years old? Wow. So it was a 48-year-old car. And it, I, I rem, it reminded me of stuff when I used to drive it. I used to drive it from Scranton, Pennsylvania, up to Rochester, New York, uh, on weekends, I'd go back up and visit Debbie uh, when she was for one year, she was a, we were away from each other. And every weekend, just about every weekend, I would drive back up to Rochester in this thing. And so I was checking it out and he said, yeah, he said, we just uh, drove down from Minneapolis. He goes, it got 12.8 miles a gallon. <laughs> oh my word. This was back when gas was still like pushing $4.50 here just several weeks ago. You know, you can never go back, but you can make pretend. And sometimes it's almost just as good when you can get right next to the car that you used to drive. Now, the one that I drove, I don't even remember the year. Middle 80s, the camshaft went on it and it was, it was done. It was in a junkyard by the end of the 80s for sure. And that's, what, 32 years ago. And this thing is still... Just beautiful, gleaming. You can't go back, but you can make pretend. And I made pretend that night. And uh, we shook hands and, and we left. And I watched it as it drove until it was out of sight. We can't go back to the upper room where Jesus was with his disciples. But amazingly, in pristine mint condition, these chapters in John are left for us like word for word through the power of the Spirit, written down what Jesus said. And we have it. We get to read it, and we get, it's, just, it's just like being there. It's the second best thing. And this is like over 2,000, maybe right around 2,000 years old, and we get to hear Jesus' final words to his disciples, literally the last hours. I was telling the first service, folks, that a few times I've been with somebody at the end of their life where they've actually given me an answer when I've asked them, hey, what do you want me to tell the people at your memorial service? 
just a couple times, two or three times maybe, have, has somebody been like on the spot ready to give me an answer to that question? Usually, usually their, their mind is in the spot where they can't answer or they're still in denial as so many of us get, we just deny the fact that it's actually the end. But Jesus was like thir- in his early 30s and he was of sound mind. He was sharp. He was like at his peak. And he's telling his disciples not only what he wanted them to know after he died, but what he wanted us to all know. And it was recorded. So these words that we look at today and to kind of finish this series that we've been in, how to stay sane in a polarized society, going through this upper room discourse, these farewell teachings of Jesus, we're just going to pick just one short statement from each of these five chapters, 13 through 17, just to be reminded of what Jesus said. And I would encourage you to consider those five chapters forever as the closest thing to what Jesus would say to you if he had like 15 minutes with you. This is what Jesus would want you to know. These are the things. These are the things that he would want you to know. But I have two um, paragraphs on the handout. If you happen to grab a handout on the way in, the first paragraph is is a sad one and the second paragraph is a happy one. The first paragraph says, in a polarized society, There is dismissal. I'm not going to hear what you have to say. There is division. There's derision, dehumanization, and condemnation. And if you peek above the media line in our culture and you look around, man, you hear that. You experience that. You're dismissed. You're derided. You're you're dehumanized. you're, You're condemned for what you believe if it's not what the other person believes. Hopefully, none of us project the same back, right? Because kingdom people are different. We're different than that. The kingdom, um, as followers of Jesus, we live in a different reality. It's the kingdom of God. But this world, let me go back up to that first paragraph. I, I skipped a spot there. And condemnation, which can all result in hatred and even violence. And we see that. We see that in our culture. We see hatred and we've seen violence. And this is the world. This is the world that we live in, where the evil one desires only rebellion, brokenness, and death. Have a great week. (laughs) This is the world we live in. It's just a reality. I'm an optimist. I always try to be positive. But it's the reality that we live in a broken world and the evil one wants us, wants, he just wants to see rebellion and brokenness and death. But Jesus came and completed his mission to bring wholeness and righteousness and life to all who would accept him. And as followers of Jesus, we live in a different reality. We live in the kingdom of God. Jesus is our king. We are part of his kingdom. And Jesus teaches us as kingdom people to live differently. We get to live differently. And Jesus taught us in that upper room discourse 
So much of his teaching is contained in those five chapters on how we are to live. If you ever need a primer or you just need a refresh on how you should live as a believer, read John 13 through 17. That's how Jesus wants us to live. So let's look at just a couple of those. In John 13, beginning in verse 12, we see this. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? How many times as parents have we said something to our kids and suspecting that they didn't really grasp what we said, we asked the question, do you understand? Did you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes they hear what you're saying, but they don't understand what you're saying and vice versa. Jesus says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I'm the master, you're my servants, you're not greater than me. I'm the messenger, I've come from, sent by the Father, I'm not greater than him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. If you're filling in the blank on your message notes, John 13, it teaches us to serve one another. Serve one another. That's the opposite of polarization, where we separate and we get on different sides. We don't have anything to do with each other. What's the antidote? Jesus says, is you serve one another. Jesus also talked about loving your enemies. Jesus talked about praying for those who persecute you. Jesus talked about giving uh, food and water to your enemies. Jesus had a completely different way of how he lived in the culture. And one of the things he taught us to stay sane in a polarized society is to serve one another, beginning with the family of believers, beginning with the people of God, where we serve one another and going out into our everyday lives where we are like Jesus. We serve those and we wash the feet of those who really would not wash our feet. You, you have to wonder if on that day when Jesus washed their feet, had any of them ever washed his feet? Probably not. And wouldn't that be a little bit embarrassing that there's Jesus and you're, you're probably sitting on the ground and he's coming over to wash your feet and you realize, I've never washed your feet, Lord. I mean, Jesus didn't do it to make them feel bad. He did it so that they could receive that love and that humble service and then take it and deliver it to each other. That's a one way to stay sane in a polarized society. It's just decide, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be like Jesus because he did it and I'm not better than him. So I'm going to serve. And then in John 14, it says this in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. 
I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Will live. And we learn from these verses that God gives truth and life. In a polarized society, God is the one who delivers truth and he's the one who delivers life. Ultimately, everybody's looking for life. They're looking to have a better life. They're looking for their life to improve. They're looking to feel better. They're looking to be better. They're looking to enjoy better. They're looking to experience better. And God is the one who gives life. But he's also the one who gives truth. It talks about the spirit of truth. And it talks about Jesus. Jesus says, because I live, you will live. Those words would ring very true after the resurrection. And they would remember that he, oh wait, he said that. He said, because I live, we would live. So as we look out in in a culture and in a society that wants to divide and wants to pull us in different directions and wants us to take sides, and it's interesting that if you, usually the polarization, it doesn't go three ways or four. Usually there's two camps. You have to get in one or another. And this is true This is true in the workplace. This is true in a community organization. This is true if you work at a grocery store. This is true if you're in politics. It's not just, it's all different areas. You get two sides, you get opposites. And one side says they're true and one side says they're true. And in order for either side to be true, the other side has to be way off and totally opposite and totally wrong. But yet the same culture will teach us that we should be tolerant because everybody can have their own truth and they're all worthy of equal um, belief and consideration. That we can't say that anybody's not true. So which is it? Is everybody right or is one side or the other right? And see, that's the problem in a broken culture is you have all of these different dynamics that are actually in contradiction to each other. And then Jesus steps into the picture and says, I'm going to give you a spirit. He's the spirit of truth. So now if you're being led by the spirit, can you be led into anything other than truth? Can we be? If we are in relationship to God, if we are walking in the Spirit, praying to the Spirit, asking for direction and truth, is God going to take us in any other direction other than in the direction of truth? Oh, but, but there's so many truths. Well, regardless, if we're walking in the Spirit, will God lead us toward truth? Yes, he will. He will. And will he give us life, real life, Yes, he will. We don't need to experience the life the way the world experiences it. Again, when, when we lift our heads and look up over the media line where all the marketing and the advertising is and all the opinions and all of the, you know, broadcasting is, we hear all kinds of craziness. We just have to get back below the line and remember there is a God who gives life and who gives truth. He's the one that we have to look to. He's the one that we have to be tethered to. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, we read this last week, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory. Do we want to glorify God? Yes. 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. God desires fruitfulness. God desires fruitfulness. He wants us to be fruitful. Last week we talked about what does that mean? That obeying Jesus' commands of loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourself. And as he has loved us so we love one another, that will bear fruit. Polarization divides, disconnects, and that brings death. That brings brokenness, barrenness, and death. But when we come together, when the branch stays connected to the vine, when we come together in unity, that brings life and that brings fruitfulness. Later on in verse 18, picking up where we actually left off last week after verse 17, it says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. That's, a, that's a, not a good message, is it? That's kind of a bummer of a message. We live in a world that hates us. But that's what Jesus said. He says, the, the world hates you. But remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So the fill in the blank here, if you're filling in the blanks, is this. We must choose Jesus or the world. We cannot choose both. We can't choose both. Because when we choose Jesus, the world isn't going to like that. We're not going to fit with the world when we choose Jesus. So some of you are, are going back to school as a teacher or as a staff, uh, or admin, or as a student. And there will be others who will be doing things that you'll be drawn to do, drawn to be a part of the conversation or activity. And God is going to say, did you choose me or did you choose the world? The world is that system that the evil one has put together. The world, we're not talking about the people. God so loved the world. He loved the people in the world. We're talking about the system that the evil one has created that brings about division and death and strife and pain and sin. We have to decide, do we choose Jesus or do we choose the world? Your neighbors may want you to be involved in something. The media might try to pull you into something. Your friend might call you and invite you to be a part of something. And you have to decide, is it, are you following Jesus or are you going to follow the world? It's a real thing. It's a real decision that we have to make. And Jesus says, the world's going to hate you. Beware, if everyone's speaking well of you, that could be a problem. Because you're probably not following me. Jesus says. And then in John 16, it says this, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. Jesus says, it's good that I'm leaving. It's better that I leave and that I send the advocate. Because 
when he comes, if you're filling in the blank, the Spirit is for us. The Spirit is for us. The advocate comes to advocate for us. He's going to prove the world to be wrong. The world to be wrong about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. They're wrong about sin because they call righteousness evil and they call, they call um, um, sin righteousness. They don't define sin the way we do. They're wrong about um, righteousness. Again, it's just the opposite. They're wrong about that, and they're wrong about judgment because they don't think they're going to be judged. They don't think there is a judgment. They think you're foolish to live in such a way like you're actually going to be judged. Their credo is to accept anything and let anybody do whatever they want to do. We've seen that before. We know where where that ends up. But the Spirit is for us. The Spirit is for us. So when you're tempted, when the world is pulling you in its direction, you have to do what we talked about a couple weeks ago from Jeremiah chapter 2, where God said they turn their backs to me and not their faces. And when you're tempted and you feel like you're being drawn towards sin, whatever that is, whether it's greed or gossip or pornography or immorality, whatever that is, whether it's substance abuse, when you're being drawn towards sin, remember, don't turn your back on God. Turn your face to God. Look up. Look to God. And remember the spirit he puts inside of you. The spirit is for you. He's for you. He's your advocate. He's the one who walks with you and wants to empower you. People like darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And when we're being drawn and tempted to sin, we want to turn our faces from God and turns our back, turn our backs to God so we can hide from him. We want it to be dark so that we can hide because our deeds are evil. No, turn your face toward God. Look up to him and remember that the Spirit is for you. The Holy Spirit was given for you. Jesus says, it would actually be better if I go away. It'll be better for you because the advocate will come. He's powerful and he can help you. And then the last chapter, chapter 17 Jesus writes this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And if you're filling in the blanks, God designed us for unity, not division. He designed us for unity, and not division, so that the world would know that unity is what shows the world you're different. You know, you can watch two different baseball teams, two different football teams, two different soccer teams, two different departments at work, two different classes at school, and you can see there's something different about them. This one seems like, you know, eight or 18 or 28 separate people all standing in proximity where this one over here feels like a well-oiled machine. They like each other. They complement each other. They're together. They move as one. Jesus says when you as the body, when you're united and you move as one, then the world will know, hey, there's something different there. There's something good there. That's something that I want. Just remember, as we leave this series and we go out, if you ever need some... um, remedial Christian life education, 
Read John 13 through 17. Jesus is giving his final teachings. We only scratch the surface these weeks. These teachings go, run so deep and they're so powerful where Jesus is telling us how to live differently as kingdom people. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning who has never placed their faith in Jesus, that they would do what that famous verse, John 3, 16 says, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, if there's one here this morning, you've been working in their heart, you've been calling them, you've been asking them to surrender to you, to bow their knee to you, to give up their life to you. You've been convicting them of their sin. By your love, by your truth, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would place their faith in you this morning. Even this morning as we're here, that you would just say, Lord Jesus, I place my faith in you today. I don't know very much about this, but I believe in you. I confess to you I'm a sinner. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for loving me even when I was unlovable. And I place my faith and trust in you this morning. Call out to God. The Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'd love to pray with you. And Lord, this morning as we leave, God, I pray that as we go back into the classroom, we could go in as followers of Jesus, knowing that the world may not like us, but we want to follow you as we go back to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our, our businesses, our, our, our organizations. God, may we be followers of Jesus. God, we worship you this morning as we sang. You, you do a beautiful name, the beautiful name of Jesus. We worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.